Hey guys, welcome back to the Alpha Artist Podcast, official podcast of digital and creative media works. Where each week we take some prop. Do you want to run that again? Yep. yep. <clears throat> hey guys, welcome back to the Alpha Artist Podcast, official podcast of digital and creative media works. Where each week we take some from pop culture and try to break it down to better understand it. My name is David. Hello, my name is Ben. Uh, we're coming in at you with that Saturday morning that energy. Saturday morning vibe. Once more, so it's chill. Where the lighting's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. We're all a bit weird looking. The sets... I'm wearing flannel because it's the weekend. Set's designed for the weekend. I'm not in a suit. That's how you know it's the weekend, baby. Yep. Um, we got those chill Sunday Sunday sesh vibes. It might be a bit more of a laid back one today. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. Some people seem to like that. Some people hate it. We'll see how we go. <laughs> we wish you guys would bring that energy. No, fuck that i ain't an energetic boy yeah we chill now um and it's it's probably a good week to do a chill one because it's, it's sort of a weird sort of a weird film <laughs> that we're covering one, yeah. um but look it's a new month um and i figured you know we've got uh, tarantino's new film on the horizon mm-hmm. um so i sort of wanted to look at um some films and games and, and and different things that are kind of would be considered to be like written or created by auteurs um, in some way. People who think they're very important. Or people that get treated like they're very important, vice right. versa. Um, and sort of wanted to look at how that can affect the way something's made. Uh, so this week we are talking about the style of rock and roller. By Guy Ritchie. By Guy Ritchie. So if you're unaware, it's 2008 crime comedy film written and directed by Guy Ritchie and follows the seedy going-ons of London's criminal underworld and the exploits of two-bit crooks of the Wild Bunch. Is a, Before we get into the summary, um, had you heard of this film before I recommended it uh, i'd heard of it yeah like I, I recognized the title but i had not seen it and didn't really know anything about it i haven't even seen that many guy Ritchie films to be honest so yeah what, what else has he done uh well, he did the new sherlock holmes films uh he did the new king arthur film his style is very like notice he did snatch he's like, very he's, just wes anderson uh, yeah <laughs> well, he's, he's got a real vibe to him yeah what'd you think oh yeah i enjoyed it um it was probably the... I, I usually get lost in these kind of films. So, like, you know, like Ocean's Eleven and, like, all these sort of, like, heist or, like, crime dramas. Yeah, there's, like, 12 things going on. Yeah, I, get, I just get lost and I'll be like, why are they doing... Why are they here? What are they doing mm-hmm. here? Um, and this film still had that. It didn't escape. Um, it still had a case of, like, what are they doing? But I think just, like, the focus of the film meant that it was... I don't know. I was able to follow it a bit easier. Mm-hmm. And I think just the, the nature of the story just meant that it wasn't it didn't take itself too seriously and i think too like it doesn't it, it doesn't take itself seriously enough that it a lot of those beats would be like big dramatic kind of switches yeah. to other scenes so i think that that helps too well like it, you, you can imagine like a different heist film a lot of the cutaways you would be like reeling from the impact of what had just happened yeah and i think like all of the there's enough like visual humor in this to where you can kind of you can follow the story just by purely kind of watching. Like, you don't really have to pay attention mm. to, like, what people are saying. And that's, like, a big thing. Like, I, don't, I barely pay attention to dialogue in films. Well, like, in this one, you especially don't need to. It's really well done. Yeah, it, it makes it very obvious. And it's, like, even when it is quite dialogue heavy, he'll do... Which, like, we're just starting the episode, apparently. That's why I get to summary in a minute. Yeah, wait, let's, there's... I don't know, there's, there's things that this film does that make it kind of easier to follow compared to, like, an Ocean's Eleven Definitely. or, like, another heist film. Yeah, Definitely. Um, and plus, like, I think really fantastic cast as well. It's a 2008 film, but it's got a bunch of people who are now proper famous. Yeah, and I think, like, the casting as well also helps the, um, like, make the film flow. Definitely. And, I mean, you know, having Gerard Butler as one of the leads. Oh, um, my God, he's just so good. It's just such As a... an actual Scottish man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, really smart. Finally. Really smart. <laughs> Idris Elba, brilliant. Tom yeah. Hardy, brilliant. Weird to see Tom Hardy that skinny, but... It's weird to see Tom Hardy just in general these days because yeah. it's like all i see is i don't know he's a good actor but it's like his biggest role was easily mad max yeah. 
And then he was in Avatar, wasn't he? No, no. that's not. You think no, it's Sam not, Worthington? It's Sam Worthington. I don't know. He's just been a, white boys, he's in man. Venom. They all look fucking. He was Venom. Venom. Yeah, he's in Venom, um, but that wasn't good. No. Um, okay, let's do the summary, and then we'll sort of get to some of what I wanted to talk about this episode. So the plot's actually quite complicated, but it's very there's a lot. You could explain on, so. it, but it's so uh, just yeah. stick with me. Lenny Cole rules real estate in London using a corrupt councillor to fix pricing and remove red tape, and his right hand Archie to take care of any required dirty business. A billionaire Russian, Yuri Omovich, is planning a fixed land deal that everyone in London wants a piece of, particularly Yuri's accountant, Stella. Yuri agrees to Lenny's price of £7 million to grease the councillor's wheels, and as a sign of trust, loans him his lucky painting. Yet when Yuri arranges for Stella to move the money, she double-crosses him and hires a local crime outfit, the Wild Bunch, to steal the money. The Wild Bunch are led by small-time crook 1-2, his partner Mumbles, and their wheelman, Handsome Bob. Unfortunately for Lenny, his supposedly dead nephew, Johnny Quid, steals Yuri's painting in the meantime. Lenny and Archie then coerce Johnny's managers into tracking down Johnny. Meanwhile, Handsome Bob gets close to Stella's gay husband, a lawyer who has information on a long-time unknown informer in their criminal circles, whose information has Bob looking at a five-stretch in prison. Yuri tasks Stella once more with covertly siphoning the necessary money from his holdings, despite his growing suspicion. When his money men are once again robbed by the Wild Bunch, his assistant Victor convinces him that it's likely Lenny behind the robberies, and is also purposely keeping Yuri's lucky painting from him. Yuri and Victor break Lenny's legs to send him a message, demanding the painting and the money. Cookie, a local drug dealer, buys the painting from some crackheads who stole it from Johnny's hideout. Cookie gives the painting to one too, who, in turn, offers the painting to Stella as a token of his appreciation. After Stella leaves his flat, 1-2 is surprised by Yuri's henchmen, but is rescued and then once again kidnapped by Archie and his goons, who'd come looking for Yuri's money. Yuri coincidentally wants to marry Stella, whom he has long admired. He goes to Stella's house to propose, but then spots his lucky painting. Stella lies and says she's had it for years. Yuri, enraged by Stella's betrayal, orders Victor to kill her. Archie brings Johnny, Roman, Mickey, and the Wild Bunch to Lenny's warehouse, where Lenny orders Johnny executed. He threatens to kill the Wild Bunch very slowly unless they give up the money they stole. Handsome Bob offers legal documents concerning the informant in his pocket to Archie. Archie, recognizing the pseudonym on the documents, Sidney Shaw, as belonging to Lenny. Lenny was the rat all the while, routinely arranging to lock up criminals to buy his own continued freedom. Archie orders Lenny's men to free the Wild Bunch and has Lenny drowned and fed to crayfish. In the lift, Johnny explains to Roman and Mickey that they will also be killed to leave no witnesses and graphically explains the manner of their execution. Johnny psychs out the hitmen and they escape the last of Archie's men with help from the Wild Bunch. Later, Archie picks up Johnny from rehab and gives Johnny Yuri's lucky painting as a welcome home present. Archie says that obtaining the painting cost a very wealthy Russian an arm and a leg. Johnny proclaims that, with his newfound freedom from addiction and his stepfather, he will do what he could not before. Become a real rock and roller. <laughs> and then it's like, it does like an Avengers it's like, scene. Where it's like, and it's like, they'll what's return. Name? We'll be back and it never happens. Fucking hectic. Um, um, it's yeah, really you, clever. Like watching it, you kind of just, you. it's easy to sort of follow. Like that synopsis just like makes it sound like a fucking train wreck. Like as you're watching it, you're, you're never really paying attention to like like who's who and mm-hmm. like what people are doing it just like flows naturally i think a big part of that is it's because there's no centralized protagonist and that's one of the points i want to try and work out is like i guess instead of what would normally happen which is you're cutting to a plots and b plots and c plots and whatever and then it all comes together at the end yeah. because it's sort of like you've got archie the wild bunch and stella and sort of or i guess archie the wild bunch and johnny those are like the only three real like storylines and they all just kind of interweave the whole time 
Like, they're, they're not, there isn't really, like, an A plot and a B plot, because it is all sort of the same plot. Yeah, and and the the, the those pro- quote-unquote protagonists from each sort of... They kind of each represent a group. Mm-hmm. So Archie is sort of... He's sort of represents, like, Lenny and his kind of side of the story. Mm-hmm. You have Yuri, which is really just, like, Yuri. He's he, just the antagonist. He doesn't really... Yeah, he doesn't really have a character. He's just, like, sort of a driving force. He's the antagonist and also just, like, the point where everything crumbles. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone fucks up when dealing with Yuri. Yes. There's the Wild Bunch, which is one, two, and Mumbles. Handsome Bob. And Bob to a... Yeah, sort of Bob again. And then you've got the accountant, I guess. Stella. Yeah, she's kind of... But even her plot's kind of one, two... That she's yeah, kind she's, of the Wild Bunch, really. Yeah. So, you, you kind of... These characters sort of act as just, like, surrogates for that sort of group of people so really there's like there's like three characters yeah it's it's really i mean realistically it's, it's like, quite simple it's, it's archie yeah. one two and johnny are like the real main characters okay so like the protagonist is technically defined in the story as the agent who experiences the most resistance so like i think a lot of people mistake the protagonist for the one that changes but like say for instance in a spider-man film very often spider-man doesn't change that much um he just happens to, like, be the one that, that everything bad happens to. Right. Like, he tends to still be plucky Peter Parker at the end who struggles to pay rent and just being Spider-Man's hard. Like, a lot of the time, that doesn't change. Um, and I guess, theoretically, each plot in a story should have its own protagonist. Um, and equally, like, I, I was using Spider-Man films because they're really easy. Um, a lot of the time, in a Spider-Man story, there's an A plot and a B plot, and the A plot is, a, is in the suit and the B plot is out of the suit. So in Homecoming, the A plot is, like... Um, the vulture and Peter Parker being Spider-Man. And then the B-plot is Peter Parker, like, trying to deal with high school and shit and and, and the girl he's trying to date or whatever. Um, And and even though they're happening to the same character, the protagonists are actually different. Like, one of them is Spider-Man, one of them is Peter Parker. Yeah. One of the things that Steve Steve Pressfield argues is that the protagonist embodies the central theme of the story. So in Spider-Man, it's with great power comes great responsibility. It's embodied by Peter Parker. Um, In Rocky, the theme is... Even a bum can be a champion if given the opportunity, and that's Rocky Balboa. In eighth grade, for instance, the theme is, despite the anxiety, you're enough and you always will be, which is embodied by Elsie. So I was trying to work out, like, if each of these subplots, if you can call them subplots, like, if, if we're trying to identify, like, a central thrust or, like, what this film is trying to do, I guess, outside of just be funny, is I kind of isolated two real, like, themes in inverted commas. So, like, Archie and Lenny's story... Um, their kind of big thing is that loyalty is the only thing that matters. That's kind of the prevailing theme. You know, Archie's obviously like, Archie's really loyal to Johnny and Johnny's loyal to Archie and it's Lenny that betrays them, which ultimately is, is like, demonstrates the theme, I guess. Um, and then even with Handsome Bob, like, his plot too is that, like, loyalty matters. Like, because, you know, with the informant and then with uh, with 1-2 um, and the whole gang where they're like, yeah, you were loyal to your friend though, so we're not going to, like, that's just what friends do. Yeah. So even, like, even those stories have a lot in common. Um, Johnny's the weird one, though. So I'm just going to read you a quote from Johnny, which is one of the best pieces of writing that I've seen in a long time. Right. Um, it's his monologue, which I yeah. fucking love. And I think this is, I think that this is embodies the weird, like, philosophy that the, the film's trying to convey in some weird fucking way. It's like Guy Ritchie's fucked up morality. Yeah. Quote, all you need to know about life is retained in those four walls. You'll notice that one of your personalities is seduced by the illusions of grandeur. The gold packet of king size with a regal insignia. An attractive implication to all glamour and wealth. And the subtle suggestion that cigarettes are indeed your royal and loyal friends. And that, Pete, is a lie. Your other personality is trying to draw your attention to the flip side of the discussion. Written in boring, bold, black and white, 
It's a statement that these neat little soldiers of death are in fact trying to kill you. And that, Pete, is the truth. Oh, beauty is a beguiling call to death and I'm addicted to the sweet pitch of its siren. That, that starts sweet, ends bitter, and that which starts bitter ends sweet. That is why you and I love the drugs, and that is also why I cannot give back that painting. Now please, pass me a light. End quote. Yeah. It's so brilliant. What's what's that um what's he monologue like what's happening during that monologue? It's they just he's uh, Pete's trying to convince him to give up the painting. So they go yeah, to the bar. But it's being cut it's being intercut with something else. I don't know the actual scene work. Yeah, but it's just um it's a brilliant monologue because it, it's it's Johnny's kind of it's like the, the rock and roller like philosophy, which is like um all good things end and all bad things end, and they tend to end the opposite of how they start. So fucking ride the illusion, right? right? And there's an element of this whole story where it's like, yeah, even though Lenny betrayed everyone and like did all those things, he still had a successful criminal enterprise. And even though Johnny is like a fucking drug addict and um, can't get his shit together, he still is like capable of like being a contributing member of that crime family in turning up and convincing everyone and making sure that ev- like the right thing happens with right. with Lenny's death. So I think like a lot of gangster flicks. Um, yeah, obviously it's concerned with loyalty, as we said. But Johnny Quid, I think that's the interesting thing about it is I think it's more interested in why loyalty is so important to these like gangster films, because rather than just being gangsters, it's like this idea of like the rock and roller is such a central. <laughs> I don't know. It's such a central like weird. I don't know what you would even call it, but it's a weird construct where he. Like he gets clean and he comes out and he's still fucking smoking cigarettes. Like there's some there's like this poetic <laughs> justice to it where it's almost like it's saying if if Archie and Lenny represent the money, the wild bunch represent like the drugs and the loyalty, and then Johnny is like everything together. So it's no wonder that he becomes the leader of that kind of pyramid almost. I think the sort of the the three so you've got these three kind of central groups. You've got Archie, you've got the Wild Bunch, mm-hmm. and you've got Johnny. I think if you if you're taking that metaphor of like the like the drugs, the smarts, and the I don't know the punching people. Yeah, you've yeah. got you've got like like Johnny is really the drugs, Archie is really the smarts, and the Wild Bunch are really the getting shit done. They're like the muscle. Yeah, so I think like that perspective, it's like yeah, the three sort of like the three the holy trinity of rock and rollers mm-hmm. or whatever. Because there's the monologue at the start where. People ask the question, what's a rock and roller? Yeah, and I yeah. tell them, it's You've... not about drums, drugs, and hospital drips. Oh, no. There's more than that, my friend. You've got the... We all like a bit of the good life. Some of the, some of the money, <laughs> some of the drugs, others the sex game, the glamour, or the fame. But a rock and roller? No, he's different. Why? Because a real rock and roller wants the fucking lot. Okay, cool. Thanks for that, So I had David. it written down. Uh, you mean that yeah. monologue? Yeah. Yeah, that monologue. Yeah, um, yeah it's like each, the, each of these groups sort of represent, yeah. for me at least, those sort of desperate parts. Mm-hmm. And to, to, yeah, to like Yuri's interesting because he he really is just he's sort of all three of those rolled into one, but just as sort of like an antagonistic force. And really, all he does, like Yuri as a character, is he just he gives someone a painting and then he wants the painting. He's like just, that's that's his character. It's, like his that's character is literally a MacGuffin. Yeah, but it 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 means that you have this sort of sick like uh, cyclical kind of adventure with the other three sort of character groups and it it's kind of orbit around that painting yeah and it doesn't it like the story doesn't end with yuri it does end with him getting his painting but it doesn't the the climax of the film isn't a confrontation with the antagonist no it's it's the sort of internal conflict of like what's going on i think for me that's why this film works 
in the sense that it's you don't sort of lose yourself in it because it's not you're not sort of you don't always have to like worry about like in the back of your head it's just like oh but what is like what's yuri doing like what's his play like what's his aim right. in this it's game really it's just like it's super simple it's like he just wants, wants painting. his painting and he wants his money and he's just kind of generally angry there's an argument i guess that like a lot of a lot of writers would say that that's like a bad antagonist right because so so i guess like the, the central thing that that the antagonist wants is the MacGuffin in every story, right? Like Hitchcock was the granddaddy of that shit where like, you know, um, MacGuffins are pretty straightforward, I think, yeah. you know, like the, um, the Holy Grail in like King Arthur, um, the suitcase in Pulp Fiction, like the Maltese Falcon, the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones, um, like the Death Star plans in A New Hope. Like the MacGuffin doesn't have to do anything. It just like has to be the object of the villain's desire. Well, I think comparing this to Pulp Fiction is interesting because, like, Pulp Fiction is so fucking confusing, like, on first watch. Again, because mm-hmm. I just get lost in these films. And, like, I have no fucking clue what's going on in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to watch it, like, three times to, like, finally be like, oh, that's the story. I and it doesn't see, help yeah. that it's shown non-linearly. Well, that's um, Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw it in theaters the other week because they were showing it yeah. last time. And oh, that would have been cool. I've seen it, like, seven or eight times and there's it's still a few just, things in that where i'm like yeah. I just don't. And like films like that are cool because like it means that on like consequent watches you're like you get a little bit more and you notice a little bit more but like there's something to be said about having a story as sort of diverse and interesting as what's in these kind of crime dramas and in this film it presented in such a way which is just like it's so easy to find. And i think part of it comes from the fact that it's a comedy like i personally i don't think that comedy films need antagonists a lot of the times you know you know if you think if you think of like the shittiest like hollywood like american comedy films it's often just like internal comedy just based on the fact that all the mm. characters like the antagonists of the characters are just themselves or, or, or just usually dumb. usually the comedy is like one of them's the rock and the other one's kevin hart hijinks yeah like that kind you of know thing. and even if you think to like british comedy you know mm. sort of the classics it's it's still very much just like internalized humor mm-hmm. where every sort of the, you know, it's that kind of like they go through bad things. You laugh because it's funny because watching people go through shit is amusing. Mm-hmm. And then this, it's kind of that same thing where it's just like, you know, when like the scene when the painting gets stolen and Lenny's like on the phone and he's like, yeah, I've got it on my wall. And then he just fucking falls off. His head. It's the kind of thing where you're watching it. You're just like, you don't realize the painting is stolen. Because it's it's like a brand new set. You've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. There's like an empty thing on the back of the wall. And at first you think he's kind of like lying or like he's being like, you know, he's just put it in like a vault somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he he's like, yeah, I've got it on the wall. And you're like, oh, it's not on the wall. And then he falls out of the chair just like, oh, it's not oh, on it's the gone. wall. Yeah. Oh, it's gone. Oh, okay. It's like, such a quick communication. As yeah, well. yeah. And like that's, you know, there's no, they don't show it getting stolen. And at that point, you don't really care. Like you're not like, oh, who done it? Because that's not like the point of the, the film the, and because the, the point is the painting's gone not who yeah not, where's the it's like and the fact and i think it's helped by the fact that you don't see the painting so you have no reference to what the painting even looks well, that, like that's that's the perfect MacGuffin, right because that's like same with the pulp oh the it's the same stuff, yeah fiction. it's exactly the same stuff yeah. is the suitcase yeah. um there's a so when when pressed on it um francois Truffaut, who was talking to hitchcock i think it was like 1939 jesus or christ um because like hitchcock was really the dude that mm. like invented MacGuffins. um uh, and it was during a lecture at Columbia University, so I'm just going to read you this quote. I think I think this might be exactly what you're saying. Um, so, quote, it might be a Scottish name, taken from a storybook about men in a train. One man says, what's the package up there in that baggage rack? And the other answers, oh, that's a MacGuffin. The first one asks, what's a MacGuffin? 
Well, the other man says, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. The first man says, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. The other man answers, well, then that's no MacGuffin. So you see, a MacGuffin is nothing at all. End quote. <laughs> so, like, yeah, obviously the painting is the MacGuffin. Um, and as it's interesting that we touched on Pulp Fiction, because I've got that here, where um, we never see what's in the suitcase. We never see the painting. Um, and as Steve Pressfield says, the ideal MacGuffin is one that is deliberately meaningless or even silly. This makes the point of it, the villain's greed and covetousness, the only thing that matters. So he, he says, uh, villainy's object is molecular, cellular, and visceral. It seeks only to dominate and to self-perpetuate. Nothing grander, nothing more meaningful. The villain just wants the MacGuffin for the sake of want. Which is kind of interesting, because I think... If you, I, I, was, I was thinking about some of the like more successful franchises that are out there that have like a big central MacGuffin. Harry Potter. Like I was thinking about Harry Potter. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've talked about this before. Harry Potter has a really weak villain. Um, and yeah, it, and, and weird MacGuffins. Really weird MacGuffins. And a lot of the time, um, it's not serviced very well by a lot of the, the kind of MacGuffins that, that Rowling puts in there. But what's interesting to me is that if you're talking about the, the whole point of a villain is just that they're covetous of that thing and they, their unending greed is the only thing that matters about them then I guess Yuri's interesting because he's not, like, he only represents the the central force of antagonism in the story, which is just, like, that all of these gangsters are greedy and they want... Yeah. They want money and they want... They, they, they want the, the drugs and the women and the fame and the glam... Like, they want all that shit. It's about, like, greed is really the antagonist. And it just so happens that Yuri is an easy representation of, like, a foreign version of that. They're, they're all sort of antagonistic in the sense that, you know, Lenny is sort of the antagonist of that one group you've got this sort of mystery informant which they imply pretty early on is like directly someone in the wild bunch yeah. um or at the the bar the bar where they yeah yeah at yeah. the bar yeah and then you've got i guess i don't know like uh sort of what's his name rock and roller boy johnny johnny, johnny he's, Quid. yeah he's sort of got his weird his weird drago boys but even he's an antagonist because he fucking steals the painting he, yeah he place. does he like, does directly steal the painting so it's, it's yeah. weird, like they're all it's like they're all they are the ones that have caused all these problems it's like what you were saying before it's all internal conflict that yeah is caused by the fact that this one dude drops a painting in the mix and suddenly everything goes to shit yeah and because they're all like wanting the painting for various reasons that yeah they all sort of fill that role of being that coveting villain mm. Yeah. Which is kind of a really fascinating way to go about. I think that's why it is very simple. Yeah. It's because all you're focused on is who wants it at that moment. Mm. Who's got it? Who wants it? It's not... You're not trying to follow 12 things to put a heist together. It's just who currently has the painting? Where is it? And who's trying to get to it? And how are they going to get stopped? Yeah. And even then, like, a lot of the characters, like, for most of the film, well, for the whole film, the Wild Bunch have... They don't know at all what this painting is. Like they Even don't. Even when one two has it, he has yeah, no idea. they don't. They don't realize what they have. But it that doesn't really change like the thrust of the film. Like if anything, it causes more drama because then when Stella has it, you're like, fuck. And then when she lies, you're like, double fuck. Did she? Does that mean that she also didn't know what the painting was? Yeah, absolutely. So like, it's it's, it's fascinating. Like literally, everyone that has it has no idea how valuable it is. Yeah. Until it gets taken away, effectively. Yeah. Even yeah. Even like uh when. Uh, it's given to Lenny mm-hmm. by what's his name Yuri. Russian boy Yuri at the start of the film. It's sort of that you know he's he's complimenting the painting just because he's trying to be nice and and like suck up to him, and he's just like oh you should take it, and he's like no 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 I don't want to take it from you it's it's too precious, and yeah. he's like no it's my lucky painting please take it. And you can tell he's just like I don't want to take this, this piece of shit painting yeah like I was just trying to be nice, and then he's got it. And he's like well I guess I'll put it up on the wall to be nice, and then it's like. 
it's fucking gone. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's and then everything gains happens. value. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so interesting. I guess like it's almost like, and you know because you have some side characters in this which we didn't mention like uh, Tank who's sort of the the guy on the street who knows everything and even he knows what the painting is. Like it's it's almost like in the in the act of it getting taken that's when it is is like given its value. Right. And there's something to be said for. For a film that's kind of like about greed and like being a rock and roll and like wanting all these things, it's like it's not until it's taken away that you suddenly want it. Like it's in the act of wanting, that's what makes it valuable. And there's something to be said for, I guess, as like a force of antagonism. Greed is such a fucking fascinating thing to focus on because one, of, it's touching back on Harry Potter. One of the things that makes those films very often not work or makes Harry a less interesting um, kind of protagonist than he could be is that the force of antagonism is, I guess. Like, it's just pure evil. Like, it's fascism, right? Um, it's like uh, the ultimate human evil. Yeah. Personified in Snake Man. Um, so, like, th- to overcome <laughs> that, man. to overcome that is just courage and kill Nazis. Like, it's not that interesting. It's, yeah, it's sort of just like an adventure. Yeah. yeah. And you can do that. But I think it's more interesting to say, well, okay, if you have a bunch of people who kind of embody a certain lifestyle and there's this, then you drop this kind of wild thing in the mix. Uh, and they're all kind of greedy for the same thing. How do you overcome that? Like, ultimately, like, the message is, like, loyalty and kind of trusting the people that you work with, honestly. Like, it's they, they kind of have this family but with the Wild Bunch and kind of even Archie and Johnny Quid, to an extent, come together with the Wild Bunch at the end. Yeah. And Archie has... That, that's the interesting thing about Archie as a central character is he has this respect for everyone that Lenny doesn't. Yeah, I think, like, for, if if there was, like, one main protagonist in this film i think it would be archie yeah. not just because he's the narrator but because it he's sort of yeah he fits that role of he's connected to every other character in a way that other characters just aren't yeah. he, he sort of he bridges the gap between everyone and even even that makes him uh, kind of a fascinating central piece because he doesn't really seem to want any of it. No, he's he's very much you know he only wants the painting because Lenny wants the painting. He's he, just doing his job. Yeah, pretty yeah, pretty much. He's just doing his job. And even probably the closest thing that he has to like actual desires is just sort of you know cohesion of you know the this community that he has. And like he he clearly cares for everyone mm. in the final scene when he's basically reading out lenny's rights which is just everything he's done he's basically being like fucking oh he's he's basically like at the he's he's basically the angel at the pearly gates reading out all of the sins and like condemning him to hell like it's it's very just like he's like the arbiter yeah it's like judge jury executioner like he's he's sort of filling that role because he he has such a wide sort of connection with everyone in this mythical community and also he has a he has a like he, he has the the tools like he's he's imbued with the tools to do all that because he's the the smart guy who has all the connections and knows everyone. But then he's also got this other range of tool sets that he implements throughout the film, like the Archie slap and all these kinds of things, <laughs> which is just the, fucking great. Archie Archie's slap. such a brilliant yeah. scene. That one gets referenced a lot yeah. in my family. Like the fucking Archie slap is brilliant. Yeah. Like because because it's 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 clear that this guy spent a long time honing. Um, his this, kind of the skill of like being this underbelly. Yeah, and yeah. and whereas everyone else is How kind to rein of people in. Everyone's trying to get you know Johnny's trying to fucking get loaded, and like the music producers are trying to get rich, and like everyone has all these different motivations. Archie's just trying to do his job really well. Yeah, like it even shows it when there's that like flashback scene where like Archie's picking up Johnny, and Johnny yes. like steals his gun, and he's just like fucking like, and give he, me and some he, money, Archie, and he's fucking he's like shit, and he like gives the kids money. It's just yeah. like people are what just don't you know just fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell anyone it's it's a it's a great kind of um there's a great evolution of that in comparison to where he is in the in the film itself where he, like that's him like paying off kids and shit 
just really yeah. like not really paying attention trying to get just get out of the situation whereas yeah. in like in the film he's dealing with stuff in such much like such a higher complexity and capacity yeah it, it's it's a cool kind of um same with johnny like the change it's a cool character arc to see them change and grow you know become those people and you know for a long time guy Ritchie talked about doing the sequel he's got a script written he was always going to do it and then they just warner brothers kept giving him blockbuster films to make like they were like here's <laughs> yeah. king arthur here's yeah. this like keep making more big picture shit here's yeah. sherlock holmes like they just kept giving him really really big picture stuff and he was like well i can't really afford to he was like, we could, yeah. you know, I, I could definitely do this, but if as long as they keep giving these to me, there's no reason to make a no sequel. Not to, yeah. But I'd, I'd watch the shit out of a sequel. Yeah, I think a, a sequel it would have to be really like a. It would just be unrelated. Yeah, it would have to be sort of like a like a, I don't know, almost like a like a Evil Dead kind of thing where it's mm-hmm. just like it's just so different. Oh um, yeah, I, I could see them doing like something totally unrelated just yeah. with all those characters. Yeah. Um, like maybe they get into some hijinks like of like doing some other weird crime yeah. thing or like a sort of like cornetto trilogy thing where it's like loosely related same actors but just like same kind of themes it's all a bit you know it's it's technically connected mm-hmm. but you know just different yeah yeah i would definitely watch that but i i, I don't think you could do a sequel to this because it's not it's not so much as it's not so much a story necessarily as it is a an idea for a plot that ends up being a narrative yeah plus i think it's i think it's funnier the way it ends when it's like so like he'll be back again and then this is not a sequel yeah it's kind of great it's it's very like it's ironic that he's been given the sherlock films because it is very sherlock where it's just like you know there's you know the original series of books and then you know 100 years passed and then oh he's in the public domain let's just fuck around with him let's give let someone let Stephen moffat make a show with him for some reason or not maybe well maybe guys don't maybe we'll make robert downey jr play him they were pretty they were pretty fine. The second <laughs> one's garbage, but they were mm. they were fine. They were shot really well. Just yeah, just you know, because it's garbage. Because it's garbage, and he's just he's just real good. But yeah, I mean, like he has complete control of this film. We're kind of touching that in the post show because we want to talk about some auto theory and stuff like that. But it very much is is his like when you compare this to something like Sherlock Holmes, there are there are several shots in this that are literal. You can put side by side. Um, like the chase, there's always a chase sequence in Guy Ritchie films where there's like a GoPro strap to someone's chest and they're just running. Oh, and it and it does the um and it's like tracked to the head, to the face. Yeah, yeah. they do that in Sherlock Holmes. They do in this like the, the certain Guy Ritchie there's shots. Whole fight scenes in Sherlock with that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Like and and you know the the slow mo stuff that they do in this in Sherlock Holmes. Like there's a lot of Guy Ritchie staples that make it into all of his films. But I think the big thing is the tone and the voice and the there's this punk. Kind of this, to, for me, this is the most Guy Ritchie film because because it embodies his style so heavily. Where it's that even the idea of the rock and roller and the guitar licks and the way that the editing's done, yeah, and the the, the swap the the swap fades and things, yeah, like that. and you know things like the fourth wall breaks where you know there'll be characters monologuing about their telling past you how the, or like telling you how then, the crimes work, and then and it'll do a flashback and the and the character in that flashback will talk to the camera it's just like it's weird like there's a lot of like auteurisms in this and i feel like you know as this as this month goes on we're gonna see a lot of i like for me there are a lot of overlaps for this when you've got these sort of auteur films Mm -hmm. there's a lot that they all they all kind of do similar stuff every now and then Mm -hmm. they'll or at least they'll have you know there's categories of auteurisms as i'm going to call it it's a weird term i'm coining it now okay where it's like you know you'll have you'll have like cinematography kind of auteur stuff Mm -hmm. you'll have like narrative auteur stuff you'll have you know like tonal auteur stuff a lot of the time it's just like just put comedy in it that's like a big auteur thing it's just like yeah it's like an ma15 plus rated film about gangsters and it's a bit funny Mm -hmm. and it's like oh that's like every tarantino film like they're all just a bit funny actually seeing pulp fiction in a theater 
is interesting because it is it is funny. Like there is yeah, a lot of laughs. Legitimately, yeah. Because when you watch it by itself, it's just quite a good gangster film. It's very funny. Oh yeah, well, like all of like every Tarantino film like is quite humorous. Like it just and it's that kind of I like he's even like described it as he he calls it just like violence is funny. Like yeah. he's he sent a lot of interviews. I think when Kill Bill came out, he caught a lot of flack for that film because for a few reasons it had a female protagonist mm -hmm. it was very violent it's probably one of his most violent films at it's least when it far. came out and he'll he'll be in interviews and they're like what do you like why do you think it's there's this really one there's this one interview where i'm uh, talking about tarantino and a fucking rock we'll, and roll we'll, we'll get to it more on the post show. do you want to ha hang on to it for the post sure. show because i yep. got a bunch of <laughs> yeah like kind of closing thoughts before we before we wrap up like yeah it's it's such a that sometimes when you're trying to do a complex story the simplest thing to do is work out a central piece so like in this case the MacGuffin and just ride around it and have all your characters all around it I don't know it's just it's just a really clever way to do this this English gangster film and it's a cool way to get all these really good actors to just chew the scenery and be cool British gangsters it's thoroughly thoroughly pithy really well done and just like classic guy Richie to a T do you have any recommendations for this week oh fuck I don't know I've been playing Monster Hunter Monster Hunter still yeah still more Monster it. Hunter it's yeah. a good game I enjoy it it's fun yeah it's, it's, it's my new Warframe your Warframe. Yeah. Um, I just got uh, uh, Amazon Prime again, so I've been rewatching Community. Oh yeah, um, still holds up. Dan Harmon's a genius. Uh, yeah, as I said before, I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater, which is really cool. That would have been um, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, they're doing like a run um, at the the cinema near where my dad lives, where they're like playing every Tarantino film that lead up to his new one. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm gonna go see Kill Bill, cool. and they're doing a Kill Bill one and two back to back. Oh shit! So I was like, that's "Fuck sick. yeah, dog! Yeah. No, that's awesome. Hell yeah! Yeah, that's all about that. That's the way to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm keen as hell for that. Yeah, otherwise I haven't really been watching a lot of. I watched Zombie Land again last night because the second one's coming out. Yeah, that's fuck. That's a fucking good film. That's a yeah, it's something. That's a very auteur film as well. Actually, it's very yeah. very heavily. It came out in a stylized. weird time where they, I think they were able to do it. I don't think you'd be able to do that today. No, even though they're like, <laughs> we got a second one coming out. I'm like, it's not yeah. going to be at all like the first one. I think it's like a kick-ass two kind of situation. Yeah, which I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, where can people find us? Facebook at DCMWorks Social. YouTube. YouTube.com/slash DCMWorks. Twitter at DCM_Works. Patreon. Patreon.com <laughs> slash DCM works. Every time you're like, did Don't I miss sleep. one? Yeah, go to our Patreon, help support us. Um, you get access to the post shows for all the content we record in, in Offer Artists uh, and a bunch of behind the scenes. You get early access to videos uh, and uh, on our newly created Discord, you also get um, Discord. access to, to things like sneak peeks. No, no we're going to put an ad in because we need, we need a transition. There's a bit of behind baseball. We need a transition behind from the end of the show to the recommendations so adam and i are working on an ad that'll go in there for the okay. discord and things like it's a little that. behind the scenes for you all a little, little behind baseball for you, for you boys uh yeah check it out uh discord it'll, there's a link in the in the description um and if you're a patron you get access to a special patreon chat and you you get like a flare and different different you get a different and, color from everyone else yeah makes you look makes special you, makes you look special and, and we appreciate you and you can go in there and actually this discord's best way to uh to leave us comments and stuff like that for the post show or send us your ideas or uh, that kind of thing. Very often we'll jump in there and be like, hey, what, uh, you know, if you guys got any ideas for episodes or we'll just chat about stuff. So yeah. go check it out. Um, otherwise, if you want to follow us individually, I'm at DC My Head Pie. Matt Little Citrus. I'll see you guys next week. break.
Pierce break. Pierce break. Pierce. Pierce. Why need to pierce through here? <laughs> I'm South African, I need to pierce. Yeah. I need to pierce. It's very big.